Thank you, Brother Wayne. Appreciate you taking care of that. Is it up okay? We're okay? We're good. All right. I appreciate him doing that. And we got our new camera back there. Sometimes Jonathan's not able to be here. And so appreciate Brother Wayne working on that and getting that going. Colossians chapter number 3 this morning. And we're going to spend some time. We've got, um, oh, let's see here. I think 11 points today. Are you ready for this? We're going to hit the ground running. we got a long way to go this morning, but we're going to do it in a short time, okay? Uh, I love the letters that Paul writes and many times uh, gives uh, great insight into our Christian life. And um, I'm thankful that there are times that we find what we're not supposed to do, but I love the times when the Bible tells us what we ought to do, don't you? Uh, it makes it a lot easier. We don't have to sit and wonder and scratch our heads and say, well, I wonder how God wants me to live. Uh, God gave us the Bible for two reasons. One, to show us how to get saved. And then secondly, to show us how to live once we are saved. And I'm thankful for that, that He didn't just leave us on this earth and have us figure it out for ourselves. Uh, when you buy a new car or you buy a new television set or a new computer, they give you a manual to show you how to use it most effectively. As men, we don't look at those instructions because those are manufacturer suggestions. But uh, aren't you glad that as God's Word, we have a manual that shows us how best our lives work and operate? And I'm thankful for that. We're going to take some time this morning to find some things that Paul gives us uh, that we ought to be doing in our lives and a few things that ought not to be in our lives. And so we're going to take some time to go through Colossians chapter number 3. I want to mention real quick and just put a, a shameless plug in, if you will, for our Wednesday night services, we have been um, working on and studying on uh, how to lead <coughs> excuse me, people to Christ. We've spent a great deal of time on it. We started off with just four or five lessons, and it became very apparent that uh, there are certain groups of people that are harder to share the gospel with than others. And so we wanted to teach and train on how to do specific groups of people sometimes, because I found, at least in my life, uh, maybe you don't have those issues, but I know in my life that there were certain times that someone with a particular set of beliefs would come and I would have opportunity to talk to them about the Lord. But because I didn't understand where they were coming from, what they believed and the things that they held to, I didn't know how best to approach them. And so all we're doing is we're delving in very deep. We're going through different groups, uh, how, to, how to witness to a Catholic. And uh, right now we're dealing with how to witness to a Mormon. And uh, we'll be talking here in a few weeks about uh, how to witness to uh, a Jehovah's Witness. And we've got several, uh, several more on the way. Last Wednesday night, we began a, a couple, at least two or three weeks study on why the King James Bible. What's so significant about it? Why are we holding to that? I know that's a lot up for a lot of discussion today in a lot of churches uh, as to why uh, we would hold to the King James Bible, and there's so many other versions out there. And there are some very specific reasons why we would hold to the King James Bible, and we study those uh, on Wednesday night at length. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't normally come out on Wednesday nights, to come out uh, at, least, at least for the next several weeks and uh, become grounded in some things, probably some things you didn't know. Uh, that will help you to understand why we uh, hold to the King James Bible as our sole authority of uh, faith and practice in our church. And so I want to encourage you in that and uh, come on out on Wednesday nights. 
Colossians chapter number 3, we'll read uh, just the first two verses to begin with. We'll go down through the chapter uh, throughout the rest of the message. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Father, we pray that you'll bless uh, the time that we spend here together, and as we learn some things that will uh, help us to grow in the Christian life that will mature us, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will uh, not only allow us to hear them and to listen to them, but that we will take heed to them, that we will put them into practice in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that You will guide and direct, enable us and strengthen us with Your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is addressing, of course, the church at Colossae. And uh, he says here, as he gets to this portion of the letter, if ye then be risen with Christ. Now, the truth of that is, when we get saved, the Bible says, according to Romans chapter number 5 and chapter number 6, that when we get saved, that we are, we are crucified with Christ, the old nature is crucified, and we, are, uh, we have a new nature that rises again. And it talks about being uh, uh, dead in our, uh, uh, to our sin nature and made alive uh, in the Spirit and how there should be something new and fresh in our Christian life that didn't used to be there before we were saved. Uh, quite a bit of Paul's letters deal with uh, not walking after the flesh, but walking after the Spirit. Uh, I've shared this, but it's important for us to understand this, and I don't mind repeating these things because it's important that we have a solid grasp on them. But there are three types of people that the Bible speaks of. The first one is the natural man. The natural man is somebody who does not know Christ as their Savior. In fact, the Bible says it this way, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can, uh, uh, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He's dead to spiritual things. He does not understand uh, the illuminating uh, process and work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we come to God's Word is not present in a lost person. The only illuminating that the Holy Spirit does in a lost person is their recognition of their need of a Savior and drawing them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until that particular thing takes place in a lost person's life, they cannot understand Scripture. We, we tend to get very, very critical of the world that we live in today and say, well, how in the world can people have those kind of morals? Because they're not saved. They don't understand the moral absolute of God's Word. And so they explain it away. And, and the, the large reason why our society is in the condition that it's in, where the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and we're in that day. The reason we're there is because the vast majority of people in our country are not saved. They've not put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was listening to a fellow a while back uh, that was on one of these uh, religious television channels. And he made the statement, he said, we believe that, I think it was 97 or 98 percent, it was one of those two, that, that we have reached that many people in the world, that that many people are saved today in the world. And I thought, brother, I don't know what world you're living in, but that certainly is not the world that I'm living in. I would think that that is almost exactly opposite of that. That probably as much as 97 or 98 percent of our world are not saved. If you go out here and knock on a hundred doors, I doubt you would find three people that have truly trusted Christ as their Savior. Very, very tragic day that we live in, and the Bible calls that the natural man. 
He thinks the things of God's Word are foolishness because he doesn't understand them. That thing that has been made alive in us as Christians, and, and by the way, we don't say that arrogantly, we're no better than they are. We're simply a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God. And God has made something alive inside of us that is not alive inside of them. They cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God uh, uh, except the, their need for a, a, a Savior. There's a second type of person the Bible speaks of, and that is what is called the spiritual man. Nothing wrong with being the spiritual man. In fact, it's the thing that we ought to pursue after. To have a person that not only has trusted Christ as their Savior, but now walks after the Spirit and denies the old nature, the old flesh, or the, what we would call the carnal man. The natu- or, I'm sorry, the natural man. This old nature that we used to have. And he puts that down, he sets those appetites aside, and he says, I love God with all of my heart, and I want to please Him and Him alone. That's the spiritual man. <clears throat> there is a lot of criticism for people who strive to live the spiritual life. And I hate to say this, but even among people who name the name of Christ, many times we'll look at somebody who is striving to be the spiritual man or spiritual woman, and they will look at them and they will mock them because they are fanatical for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? If God is who He says He is, and if He's done for you and He's done for me what He says He's done, we ought to be fanatical for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, we ought to love Him, the Bible says, with some of our heart, right? We ought to love Him with a portion of our heart. A little bit. A lot? What does it say? With all of our heart. That means He is the most important thing in our life. And yes, that's fanaticism if you want to call it that. There is nothing wrong with that. I don't think we need to be arrogant in pursuing after God. And certainly, we look at the lost world not, uh, not with a, a disdain and say, Oh boy, we, I'm glad we're not like they are. We look at them with a broken heart. Realizing that we used to be there and God did something in us. And He needs to do it in their life too. But then there's a third type of person. We have the natural man who's lost. We have the spiritual man who's not only saved, but also walks after the Spirit and does not walk under the law of sin and death anymore. But the third type of person we have is the carnal man. The Bible speaks of it. Paul speaks of it. The carnal man is a man who has trusted Christ as his Savior, but continues to walk after the law of sin and death in his life. He's been delivered from the bondage of sin, but he chooses willingly to continue in it. And Paul said in, in Romans chapter number five, he says uh, that where grace abound or where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm thankful for that today. That there's not enough sin that you can commit where God's grace is not sufficient for it. And he goes on in chapter number six in verses one and two. He says, "What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" In other words, there were some people in Paul's day who said, "If, gra- if God's grace is given every time I sin, then I want to sin a lot because I want more of God's grace." And Paul said, whoa, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, is the way he words it, live any longer therein? We're one of those three types of people today. Sad to say, I don't always find myself in the right category. It's one of the great battles of my life. And by the way, it's one of the great battles of your life too. We get to Colossians chapter number 3, and Paul begins this by saying, If ye then be risen with Christ, 
And he's going to give us some things here that will help us to be the spiritual man. If you then be risen with Christ, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've died to sin, and you're rising to walk in newness of life, he says this, seek those things which are above. You know, when we seek for something, the idea that Paul uses here and in choosing this word, he doesn't just say we ought to be looking for it. He says we need to be seeking for it. And there's, there's a little subtle difference in that word, isn't there, in seeking for something. Uh, have any of you ever lost your car keys? <laughs> the older I get, the more often I lose them. And when I'm ready to go, and I'm, in fact, I'm almost late for something, and I can't find my car keys, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not just looking for my car keys, I'm seeking them. <laughs> I'm feverishly going after it. I'm trying to find them because, boy, I need them, and I need them now. Can I tell you, this is what Paul is referring to if we've been risen with Christ, that we are to seek those things, notice this, which are what? Above. The things that are of God become special to us. The things that God has in store for us, the things that that, that God wants us to do with our lives, the things that God doesn't want us to do with our lives, those things are things that we are to seek after. We're to look for them, not not just casually, but we're to pursue after them. There's supposed to be some intensity involved in it. That I'm looking for what God wants for my life. And and I'll tell you, I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be real transparent with you as your pastor. There is not every time that I come to God's Word to read it, this great, wonderful joy. Woo! It's time to come to God's Word. There's sometimes I'm tired. And there's sometimes I really don't feel like it. And that's the time that if I'm just looking, if I'm just casually going about my Christian life, those are the times that I'll just kind of say, you know what, I'm not going to read today. I'm not going to spend any time in God's Word because, boy, I just, you know, right now I just don't feel like it. But when we seek for it, when it's something that our hearts are pursuing after, and we say, I cannot get by a day, even though I may not feel like it right now, I've never come to God's Word that when I got done, I didn't feel better. There are times that even with the conviction that it brings to my heart, after getting it right, I feel a whole lot better. Can I tell you this, that we need to learn as God's people to seek those things which are above. We live in a world today where there's a lot of seeking going on, but it's usually for things that are on this earth. We're seeking for wealth. Boy, that becomes a big one, doesn't it? Boy, if I just had a little bit more, we begin to seek for it. You know, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. I saw a thing the other day that talked about it. It was pointing to a dollar bill and it says the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says what? The love of money. You know what that means? They're seeking after it. That's, that's their passion. That's what drives them is money. Can I tell you, it's not bad to have the money. It's just bad if that's what you're seeking for. It's bad if that's the, 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 the ambition of your life. What about what about material things? Boy, I tell you, I, I wish I had a new boat, or I wish I had a... Oh, this is a tough one. I wish I had an airplane. Or I wish... I had, those of you that know me know that. But you know this, and I, and I think God knows my heart on this. As much as I love airplanes, and my son and I are attempting to build one, actually. We've started on one. We've got the rudder built. But can I tell you this? That's not the passion of my life. 
It's not the thing that drives me. It's not the thing that for all other reasons I, uh, I put those things aside so that I can pursue after building an airplane or having an airplane. Why? Because that's not what, that's not what motivates my life. Those things that become so intense that we begin to take our affections, the things that we long for, and we begin to pursue after them instead of the things of God. What is it in our lives? Can I tell you, we live in a day and age where there's an awful lot of seeking going on, but certainly not for things above. Paul said, if you then be risen with Christ, if you've trusted Him as your Savior, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, at the right hand of God. Now here's how we're going to do this. Paul says, set your affection. Singular. The main affection of your life. The driving force. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. Notice in verse number 3 it says, For ye are what? Dead. <laughs> Brother Greg, I'm not dead. I'm sitting here breathing this morning, aren't I? What's he speaking about here? We're being dead to what? Sin. For we are dead and your life... Wait a minute. Paul, what are you talking about? A dead man has life? Certainly. Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I what? Live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That, that there is a life inside of us that, yes, we're dead to sin, but boy, aren't you glad there's a new life this morning in us? I'll tell you this, before I got saved and I grew up in a pastor's home, I didn't have a whole lot of desire for the things of God. Our family never discussed if we went to church. It was just expected. We went, but I'm going to tell you right now, the first 13 years of my life, I did not enjoy going to church. You know, there are times now that I sit and I, I'm not saying that every time on Thursday night after I've, or Wednesday night after I've had a hard day of physical work that I'm not tired and there's sometimes I think, boy, I gotta go to church and I'm tired from it. But I'll tell you this, I, it's not because I lack a desire to go. I, I, there are times now that I look at it and I think, boy, I can't wait till Sunday gets here. I can't wait till Wednesday gets here. That didn't used to be in me. Something died that day and something was made alive that day. And aren't you glad that happened? He says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our what? He's our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with Him in glory. Now, we're going to give you a number of things here. First of all, uh, we've given you two already. We need to be seeking after those things which are above. Secondly, we need to be setting our affection on things which are above. Now we're going to find in verse number 5, Paul says this, Mortify. <laughs> wow, we went from seeking and setting our affection to mortifying. Uh, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the what? This is that old nature, isn't it? Fornication, uncleanness. Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which time, notice this, ye also walked. Aren't you glad that's past tense? I don't walk that way anymore. Oh, there's times I may step that way, but I'm glad I don't walk that way anymore. Notice he says this, "...in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth." Can I tell you this? Those things ought not ever be noticed 
in a Christian's life. They ought never to be identified with the Christian. There is something that is different inside of us that ought to change our life. I will say this, I want to say it very carefully. There's a lot of times that over the years in churches, we have preached on how the outside of our life ought to be what men see. We are not talking about trying to put on some kind of a superficial front or shell to make people think we're something we're not. What we're getting at here is to be risen with Christ, to seek after those things which are above, to set our affection, the things that we love, on things above, not on things on the earth. And folks, can I tell you this, that when our heart is in the right place, these externals take care of themselves. We don't have to attempt to make them happen in our lives. They will happen in our lives. There will be growth in the Christian life. We'll be pursuing after God. And every time we fail in one of these areas, it will bother us until we get it right. That's called conviction. Paul tells us we're to mortify the deeds or our members which are upon the earth, the old nature. Verse number 9, he says this, Lie not one to another. These are things that will help us in our lives. Lie not one to another, seeing that we have put off the what? The old man with his deeds. It ought not to be part of a Christian's life to be noted in their character that they're liars. There ought to be integrity, regardless of the cost. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is what? He's all and He's in all. Christ, who is our life, the Bible said. This Christ that is in us, the One that has made us new, He's the One now that we live for, that we represent, that we long for, that we seek after. He says this, next next thing we're going to look at, not only are we to mortify the deeds, our, our members, not only are we to lie not, but He says this in verse number 12, something we are to do, that we are to put on, this is something that, sh- that should be part of our Christian lives, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. You know what this world would look like if Christians would act this way? <laughs> you know what our churches would look like if Christians would act this way? Can I tell you this? Now, follow me on this. He starts this portion of his letter by saying, If you then be risen with Christ, what? If you then be risen with Christ, seek. We're to pursue after it. Are we going to always succeed at it? No, we're not going to always succeed at it. But we get up, we dust ourselves off, and we start running again. (laughs) Years ago, we had a guy on our church staff, I've shared this before, his name was Woody Futrell. Probably one of the the best, uh, as far as the staff men in our church, Probably one of the most influential men other than my dad in my spiritual life. Brother Wood, if you tell, hilarious fellow. He said when he was a young guy, a young kid, that the Flash, the Flash super character, was his hero. And you know the Flash, he could move so fast, he could vibrate his molecules and pass through solid objects. You know what I'm talking about? He got up on a hill behind his house one day. And he thought, if I can get going as fast as the flash, I can run through that tree down there. And so he runs down the hill as fast as he can go and 
boom, right into that tree. He said, it knocked me out. He said, I don't know how long I was out for. And he got up and he said, I was laying there all dazed. And when I came to, he said, I was all dazed and bloodied up and skinned up from this tree. And he said, the only thing I could think was, I wasn't going fast enough. He said, I went back up to the top of the hill, ran back down there and hit that tree again and knocked myself out again. Can I tell you this? And we laugh at the silliness of that. But can I tell you this? That in the Christian life, when we are pursuing God and we fail, don't let it stop you or discourage you. You get up, you dust yourself off, and you seek again. You go again. These things ought to be part of the Christian life. I love it. There ought to be bowels of mercies. He said, well, I don't know if I can show mercy to people. They, they deserve what they're getting. Can I tell you this? I'm glad I don't get what I've deserved. I'm glad that somebody gave me some mercy. And I hope that I can take that same mercy and give it to someone else. Well, Brother Greg, you don't understand. You just don't realize. Yes, I do. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I am His representative on this earth to that person. And if He's going to ever see the mercy that God has, He better see it through me. In a Christian's life, there ought to be bowels of mercy. There ought to be kindness. Well, that's a tough one, isn't it? There ought to be kindness. There ought to be humbleness of mind. You know how hard that is when you're as great as we are to be that humble? I joke around about that. But you know, so often we pride ourselves if we think we're humble. We think, boy, I'm so humble. Boy, I wish other people could be as humble as I was. And in that very statement, there's pride, isn't there? I joke around sometimes with men about writing a book about the world's ten most humble men and how I trained the other nine. And the truth is, we are a very proud people. We laugh and we cut up about it. But if we look at our lives, every sin we commit has its root in pride. Every one of them. That's why the very top of the list of abominations to God, the very top one, is a proud look. It's the key to having victory over sin, to have a humbleness of mind. Philippians chapter number 2, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't just stop there. He says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know the mind of Christ that you and I are supposed to have is the mind of humility. It needs to be kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Well, there's a lot of Christians that could serve, be served well by that verse, couldn't they? How many times is there something in our life that we're not willing to forgive? Some person that has hurt us. Some, purpose, some person that has done what we thought was not right. These are things that ought to be part of the Christian life. These are things that as we pursue and as we seek things which are above. As we set our affection on things above, 
these will become apparent in our lives. Notice he says here in verse number 13 that we're to forbear. Verse number 14, the Bible says, Above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We ought to be putting on charity. We spoke about that last Sunday. Verse number 15, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which we are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. (coughs) Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not unto men. I want to I want to try to help you with something here. From verse 16 down to verse number 23, we find something that characterizes, or the, we would call these the attributes of something that is stated in the first part of verse number 16. It says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Semicolon. This is then what characterizes that. From there all the way down to verse number 23, you'll find that these are all characteristics of letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Everybody see that? Now now look with me. Hold your place here because we're going to come back. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, if you will. (coughs) Excuse me. Ephesians chapter number 5. And uh, I want us to look at one other thing here. Verse number 18. Ephesians chapter number 5. Now Paul's writing to a whole different church here. And he says this in verse number 18. He says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be... What's the next phrase here? Be what? Filled with the Spirit. Okay, so, filled with the Spirit. Look at the punctuation. Semicolon. These things that follow being filled with the Spirit are now going to be the attributes or the characteristics of being filled with the Spirit. Notice what it says here. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit uh, yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything." Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water. Uh, Verse number 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Verse number 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and uh, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Chapter number 6, verse number 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Verse number 4, 
And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Verse number 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with thy service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. We find here same, same exact attributes. One phrase, filled with the Spirit. The other phrase... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And they both have the exact same results. Can I tell you this? They are two sides of the same coin. There is no way that we can be filled with the Spirit if the word of Christ does not dwell in us richly with all wisdom. Nor can we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, meaning it has found its habitation in our lives with all wisdom, without being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And they both produce the exact same things. You'll see that your music will change. We'll speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we will sing and make melody in our hearts, not to the world, but we'll make melody in our hearts to the Lord. We'll find that we will be submissive one to another. Husbands to wives, wives or husbands to Christ, wives to their husbands, parents in leading their children, children honoring and obeying their, their parents. Servants to masters and masters to servants. I love this as we get into this portion of Scripture. Because we find in all of these relationships that God gives here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using the Apostle Paul to pen these words, we find in every one of these relationships a picture of one of the relationships that we have with Christ. The husband is to be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you the highest and utmost responsibility you have in your personal life is not to be submissive to your pastor. It's not to be submissive to your Sunday school teacher or some deacon in the church or some other Christian. The number one responsibility every Christian has is to be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. First, as a wife submits to the husband, we are to submit to the Lord. Notice this, if you'll go back to Ephesians again, look with me, I love this. In chapter number 6, he, he deals a little more specifically. As he says, children, <coughs> obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Right. Then he goes on to say, honor thy father and mother, that thy days, uh, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Notice that the obedience does not have reward. The honoring has reward. Now, keep that thought in mind for a minute because our relationship to God as children is found over in chapter number 5. Look back one chapter with me, verse number 1. It says this, Be ye therefore followers of God as what? As what? As dear children. How are children's responsibility? What's, what's their responsibility to their parents? To that relationship, that child-father or child-parent relationship? They're to obey and there's no reward for obedience. It's simply done because it's right. We don't obey God because we get something out of it. We obey Him because it's right. We honor Him. Obedience with joy. And we receive reward. I've illustrated it so many times before, I don't need to re-illustrate it. But it is possible to obey grudgingly. We've done, right, we've done right, but we have certainly not honored. And there are many times that we suffer loss of reward. 
Not because we were not obedient to God, but because we did not honor Him. (coughs) We find these same two things, and I will say this, that if you want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, one requisite that I know must be in place is this book has got to dwell in our hearts richly in all wisdom. It's got to happen. If we want this book to dwell in our hearts richly with all wisdom, we also need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need His direction. We need sensitivity and yieldedness to Him. Very, very important that we understand this concept and this principle. Verse number 23 says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily is unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance... For ye serve the Lord Christ. Paul gives us a tremendous list here in chapter number 3. It is right at 12 o'clock, I think, or somewhere close to it. Can you believe we went through that entire chapter in that hour? And we haven't even gone over too bad. But can I tell you this, that we live in a day where God's people need to seek after these things. My fear is this, that we attend church and we do it because we know we're supposed to. And we come and we check it off of our weekly uh, list of things that I'm supposed to do. And there's no pursuit after God. There's no taking the truth that we learn from His Word in the service and pursuing after that and setting our affection on it. And saying, I don't want to just know that information. I want it to be part of my life. I want to love God with so much fervor and so much interest and so much passion that if He says it, I want to do it. I'm reminded when I was a teenager, and I I remember the first girl I ever had a crush on. Y'all remember that back when you were younger and you still had crushes on things? I remember the first girl I had a crush on. She had no idea that I liked her, none whatsoever. And I was so shy and timid, there wasn't any way I was ever going to let her know that either. But you know what? We were in the same class in school. Every moment, it did not matter where she sat in the room, I was aware of where she was. And I don't care what the teacher was saying, if I heard something over that way, I I, I knew what was going on. And I would listen. I'd be in the hallways and I'd hear her talking with her friends. And I'd listen. I'd put my ear up. You know, when it came time for her birthday, I bought her things that I heard her say she liked. She didn't know I'd send them to a secret admirer. You know how that was. Do you like me? Yes, no, check one, you know. But you know, I was was so intense on, I, I, I I liked her. And I wanted to do things that pleased her. So I wanted to know what it was that pleased her so I could do it. Isn't it a shame that we do that for people that we love here in this world, but we won't do it for God? I want to read His Bible. And every time I come across something that is, this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Wow, I want to do that. I want to do that. Or every time I come across something that says, this, this is not right, it ought not to be in my life. Boy, I want to stay away from that. I need to get that out of my life. 
Folks, this is what it means to seek those things which are above. Not to just simply know them. Not to look at them, throw them on our coffee table and go about our week. But to seek them. I'm thankful He's given us His Word so that we can know the heart of God when it comes to our relationship to Him. And I want to urge and challenge us this morning that we rededicate ourselves to seeking those things which are above. That there will become a stirring of our hearts that causes us to pursue after Him. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, how it so instructs us and guides us. And Father, the truth is, as we look at the things that Paul mentioned, almost on a daily basis, probably almost on an hourly basis, we fail in one or more of these things. And yet, Lord, I pray that You would help us to pursue after them, to seek for them in our lives. I pray that our hearts are drawn to You, that this is not something that we just simply attempt to do in our own strength and our own power, It's not something that we just attempt to put on outwardly to impress people. But Lord, that our hearts will follow after You so strongly that we will love You with such a love that we want these things to be a part of our lives simply because they please You. Bless the invitation. Lord, use it as You would see fit this morning. Draw us closer to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ted's bowed and eyes closed. Miss Evelyn will play a hymn of invitation. If God's spoken to you this morning, would you come? I don't know what the need is, but there are times that we just need to come and say, Lord, I need my heart stirred again, afresh and anew. If that's your case this morning, would you do business with God and ask for His help? Fathers, we dismiss in prayer. I pray that you help us to leave with the messages upon our hearts today. Lord, what a joy it's been to be here through Sunday school and now through the preaching service. And as we've looked into your word and how much it has encouraged and strengthened, it taught us how it has been illuminated in our hearts and minds. I pray that you'd help us to leave with it, weighing heavy upon our thoughts and our consciences, and that we would uh, do with it as you would see fit in our lives. 
I pray that you'd help us to incorporate it and to take heed to it. Dismiss us now with your blessings. And Father, bless the request that we've mentioned today. So many folks that need our prayers this week and your touch. And we pray that you would do that for us. Bless the food and the time of fellowship we'll have together here in just a few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder, if you're going to help with Vacation Bible School, if you can give me just a few moments uh, right down here in the front, we'll be done in just a moment or two.